Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This particular episode is part two of my look at villains of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, we re-aired part one, which was a lot of Mark and myself talking contemporaneously about Age of Ultron, which had just aired, and the spate of... the state, not spate, of villains in the MCU and how more or less unimpressed we were with the vast majority of it. Part two, which we have here, originally aired May 15th, 2015, and the first 30-ish minutes is me by myself, uh, then good friend of the program, Benjamin J. Cologne, shows up, and what we do for the for this show in its entirety, even the part where I'm by myself, is look ahead, because even in 2015, we knew... Not specifics, but we knew titles, more or less, and dates for films out to 2019, basically through Infinity War. Uh, uh, Even Endgame, maybe. I forget exactly how much they'd announced at that point. But pretty much everything through Infinity War, we knew, you know, titles. I had a rough outline. Something's changed here and there, but everything pre-2020 pretty much went off the way it was supposed to for the MCU. And it's a lot of... uh, speculation, a little bit of fan casting, uh, things of that nature that uh, he and I engage in. And it's, it was kind of fun for me to listen back to. And uh, some of the speculation that we hit is pretty much right on. Some of it were fairly fun. Some of it were off on. Um, I mean, we not too many people kind of visualized uh, the Vision character essentially taking... Not even really taking over. They did... The Infinity War saga, which is based on the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, is done completely without Adam Warlock, who has yet to be introduced in the MCU... Uh, cin- uh, again, vis- uh, uh, movies, but is but was very, very integral in, uh, in the comics for that segment. I mean, they're going to introduce him in the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. But we had... So we did a lot of speculation, some fun... Some what we hoped for, what we were afraid of, a little bit of fan casting, I think, maybe at one point. Uh, But it's just a look forward from 2015. And in some cases, surprisingly accurate. I more or less got their issues with Corey Stoll and his version of Darren Cross. Uh, Got it in one, pretty much. (laughs) I don't pat myself on the back all that often, but I will over that one, so. Alright, before we get into the show proper, let me just... Per usual, remind you to please like, comment, subscribe, give us a star rating, write us a review, share this, the program around, whatever you can do to help the show out in that respect. Please do so. Always deeply appreciated. Also, if you'd like to support the show, we have a couple of sponsors you could check out. So, feel f- I mean, they're good sponsors. Yeah, um, not that I sound, not to sound overly, you know beggy or whatnot, but if you like music, and who doesn't, if you like streaming music, and really who doesn't, uh, Amazon Music Unlimited is a wonderful service, and courtesy of us, you can get 30 days for free to try out that service. Go to getamazonmusic.com slash w2mnetwork, and that will give you access to their library of over 70 million songs and podcasts that you can stream ad-free for that 30 days. At the end of that, if you want to keep it, you can start paying. If not, well, you didn't lose anything you just got a wonderful free t- free trial of some high quality uh, service. 
So, once again, get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. There will be a link in the description below. Also helping us out is Grammarly. If you do a lot of writing, then this is for you. For you listeners of the W2M Network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly will correct hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com W2M Network. Once again, getgrammarly.com W2M Network to download Grammarly for free. There's a link in the description below if you'd rather just click that. All right, with that all out of the way, let me toss this back to 2015, myself and Benjamin J. Cologne. Take it away, gentlemen, and to everyone listening, I hope you enjoy the show. Last week, we looked at the previous 11 movies, 
Uh, one thing that I actually ran out of time with talking about last night, and I do have to get this out of the way, I forgot to bring up uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of the Kingpin, Wilson Fisk, on the Marvel Daredevil series on Netflix, uh, which stands head and shoulders above every other villain Marvel has, anyone within the Marvel Cinematic Universe has written or acted. He is phenomenal. I can't say enough good things about that. So, again, I... There were a couple of exceptions as far as potentially interesting villains, and I forgot to bring him up, but he is most certainly one of them. Uh, just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I don't have any host, any uh, special guests lined up for tonight's show, and in this particular instance, I don't mind throwing open the phone lines. So to anyone out there, again, we're uh, sorry, I'll explain what's going on, then I'll give you all the call-out information. Tonight, we're going to be looking ahead at what Marvel has announced for the cinematic universe, specifically uh, the uh, Ant-Man, which is going to be released a little bit later this year, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, maybe the new Spider-Man movie, if anyone is potentially interested, uh, the next Thor movie, Thor Ragnarok, uh, the Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, the Inhumans, uh, just, you know, things that they have announced through what they're referring to as Phase 3. I want to look just kind of specifically at anyone that you know, those movies, uh, characters who could be the villains in those films, and whether or not we think any of them are actually going to be able to buck the trend of rather one note, they want the MacGuffin to destroy the universe. That seems to be pretty much all Marvel villains have at this point. Again, not all of them, all of them, because again, last week's show talked about the few that managed to rise above that particular trope, and it's not a whole lot of them. So with that in mind, if anyone would like to call in and give their thoughts, uh, the number is 323-657-0901. One more time, there, 323-657-0901. If you would like to call in using Skype, uh, there is a Skype icon on the Blog Talk Radio player page. It's at the top of the player, pretty much in the middle. You click that, there's three or four boxes of dialogue you got to click through, and that'll bring you up my switchboard, and I'll get you on the air. So, again, that's just kind of where we're starting out. So if anyone would like to call in, there's your information. All right, we're gonna start. Uh, I'm gonna do these chronologically because I'm here by myself, and that seems to me the most logical way to do it. Coming out July what, 17th, uh, 17th of this year, Ant-Man will be released, starring. This one stars Paul Rudd. Uh, who else is in this? Starring, yeah, Paul Rudd, Evangeline Jill, uh, Lily, excuse me, Corey Stahl. Uh, that's a Michael Douglas is going to be one of the other main roles. And it's uh, this is actually a bit of a lesser known Marvel property for them to decide to bring to the forefront here, especially from a mainstream perspective. Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man, is a character that very integral to the original Avengers lineup, but it's also a character that over the years has accumulated a ton of baggage. And it's so, given that, it's actually understandable why, for the purposes of this movie, they're going with uh, Scott Lang as the Ant-Man. Scott Lang, uh, as a character, was a thief. He actually stole the Iron Man suit, for, or, excuse me, the Ant-Man suit from Pym. Uh, wound up inheriting that particular title. Uh, and again, Pym, he was the driving force behind creating the uh, Ultron rope, artificial intelligence. Now they've you know given that to Stark, but that's not actually the end of the world. The problem is just, Tim's done a lot of odd things. He, uh, in, I forget, I I cannot give you any of the specific dates or issue numbers on this, but 
he has actually been, you know, put on panel as striking his wife Janet the Wasp. Uh, the Ultimates version of Hank Pym is a almost remorseless psychotic. It's just a character that has a lot of issues potentially translating him into the big screen. So going with Lang as the thief and then staging the entire movie as a heist film, um, a really intelligent bit of you know setting up for that for that film. Uh, one of my the villain for this is set to be Corey Stahl as Darren Cross slash Yellow Jacket. He, uh, if you've seen any of the trailers, you've seen him in the suit, uh, much more militarized. And my lack of familiarity with all of the different versions of the source material is going to bite me a little bit here. But I personally found it much more interesting when Yellow Jacket was actually a subset of Hank Pym's psycho um, mind. He had suffered through enough strain and trauma and whatnot that his personality actually fractured, and Yellow Jacket was a slightly different manifestation of him as a person. And it was very – again, I found that much more interesting than putting it uh, onto this third party. And a large part of that is because I got a feeling this isn't going to do anything different. I'm looking forward to the movie, by and large. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Evangeline Lilly, by and large. Uh, Michael Douglas is fine. Paul Rudd is... I've never cared for Paul Rudd, but I've never seen him do anything that wasn't comedic in tone, and I'm not a big fan of comedies in general. So take that for what it's worth. But I'm still kind of looking forward to it. It's just... I get the distinct impression that uh, this version of the Yellow Jacket, uh, again, Darren Cross is the character, played by Corey Stahl, he's going to be very much the same way as the others. He's not going to want to rule the world with the suit, but I don't think I'm going to be too far out of the ballpark when I say he wants to keep all of the technology that you know, lets you shrink or grow. And I'm not sure they're doing any of the growth yet as far as this movie goes, but hopefully they will in the future because uh, Ant-Man, in addition to shrinking, can grow. Uh, he's been known as, uh, and again, that's, Another one of his of his, not powers, but it's a byproduct of the particle he discovers that allows him to do that. And again, they're, it looks like they're going to be focused on that. And I imagine the whole thing with uh, Yellow Jacket is going to be: I wish to control all possible variations of this suit, sell it all to the military, maybe a few private collectors and whatnot, and make all the money. And that's really flat. I mean. Now, bear in mind, they might go a different direction. Uh, when Edgar Wright was attached to direct, he actually still has a bit of a uh, writing credit on it. I was a bit more hopeful about them not going the same route that everyone else has gone. As it stands, I'm less certain about that. I've got a sneaking suspicion again. He's going to want to control it all and, you know, monetize it. And that's going to be kind of the extent of his character. He wants money. Uh, and it's dangerous to just sell something this powerful off to the highest bidder and whatnot, so Paul Rudd has to steal it. He's opposed by Cross, and we kind of go on. From, and again, I I just feel it's really flat. Now, again, th I'm projecting a lot here, and I'm making predictions, but we also have a fair amount of history to look back on, again, last week's show, and I'm not at all convinced that with the people they've assembled here, they're going to break from the traditional mold. They might. It could certainly happen. I just am not a particular 
I'm not particularly optimistic about them breaking pattern enough and writing a legitimately interesting villain in his own right. It's, again, might be wrong, but I'm less hopeful about that one. And, which is kind of sad, again, I'm not terribly familiar with uh, the cross character from the source material, but, uh, again, I'm not terribly hopeful, but I'm vaguely optimistic we might get something a little bit different, especially if they, if Edgar Wright had been writing him differently than, again, classic kind of scene-stealing, not even scene-stealing, but scene-chewing villain who, boy, howdy, really needs that MacGuffin, and how dare you try and take it from him. And, uh, It's just kind of where Marvel has left me as far as their overall uh, style with what they're doing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that's just me. I hope I'm wrong. You know, Corey Stahl's a fine actor. He's not great. This is going to be one of the more prolific roles he's had, depending on how much you watch uh, House of Cards, where he was in uh, for the first season, uh, did a fair amount of, and did some very good work there. He also is the lead in the FX uh, horror series, The Strain, off of the three books by the same name, of, uh, written by Guillermo del Toro and Chad Hogan, I think, off the top of my head. I might be wrong there. But he's not done a lot of you know uh, things that you would necessarily be all that familiar with. I'm looking up his filmography right now, and it's you know, he's been around, but he's not done anything you know, blockbuster. I mean, again, House of Cards and The Strain are probably the biggest things he's been in so far. And I'm, and you know, again, comparing that with the exposure and whatnot that comes with being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think there's a lot of comparison. He's a fine and certainly very capable actor. I hope he's given something to work with more than, again, he wants to be rich and he's using the work of Pam and the suits and whatnot to accomplish it. I'm not terribly hopeful as far as being realistic about it, but again, Hope is one of those things that springs regardless of circumstance, by and large. So, again, that comes out July 17th, and uh, actually Mark and I will be reviewing that on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network probably around the 20th, give or take. Uh, 22nd, 23rd is more likely. I'm just doing the math in my head there. All right, next up after that, starting Phase 3, we have... One of the movies that I'm most looking forward to, a lot of people I've talked with who think about these things kind of the way I do, uh, the next Captain America movie, it's Captain America Civil War. Now, this is based off of the controversial, divisive Civil War storyline by Mark Miller, uh, Miller, excuse me, which he you uh, did in like 2006 and has... That whole storyline is one of those funny things that I've kind of stumbled into a couple of different times in different mediums. You know, not actually collecting comics as I I don't personally for a variety of reasons. Not a knock on it, just I don't. And it's got one of those, first of all, it's a massive story. It, uh, I talked a little bit with Gavin Napier about it. And he mentioned that it crosses some, like it's got like something around 100 crossover events. It spans a bunch of different titles. And it's just exhausting, and a lot of people aren't fans of it. Uh, and I'm, again, what I know of it, I'm hard-pressed to disagree all that much. Uh, the basic, uh, I'll go ahead and give you the basic synopsis here as far as the comics source material goes. Uh, you know, the world is kind of, not overrun, but seriously populated with, you know, superheroes at this point. There's a group of them who are part of a 
reality television show who are goaded by their producers into taking on villains who are much stronger than they are. Uh, said villain, I believe it was Nitro, decides that rather than be taken by these weaklings, he's going to blow up a massive chunk of somewhere in Connecticut, I want to say, but again, I'm going from memory. This results in a lot of carnage, a lot of death. And it's kind of the catalyst, uh, the final tipping point for a public sentiment that we need some kind of control over superheroes. And it's, uh, again, Tony Stark then decides that all people with superpowers should be registered with the government, and they should then be either released on missions for the government only, or they should, depending on like the level of their power, he you know they shouldn't be allowed to use it all that often they sh- it should be restricted to you know peacekeeping organizations he just comes to the conclusion that there needs to be government control over these superpowered individuals captain america looks at all of this and says no you are now trying to register people just for living i fundamentally disagree with this it splits the entire superhero community pretty much right down the middle as far as pro registration and anti registration goes and there's a lot of fight scenes between, you know, again, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers. It ends with Captain America's death, which wasn't actually his death because it's comics. No one actually dies except for Uncle Ben and Bruce Wayne's parents. And now, again, there's certain – there's a lot of people who have a lot of issues with the Civil War storyline, how it's portrayed, things that are written into it, things that aren't written into it uh, – I mean, uh, Ben Cologne, who's been on this a couple of times, does the title card art for The Long Road to Ruin, mentioned to me specifically that they never actually get into the legality of what they're trying to do. The legislation of it is never actually brought up. It's, uh, again, it's an odd thing as far as that goes. And with anything that large, it's going to be, you know, some good things, some bad things. And there's... It's my the people I've talked to who kind of were there as it was happening seem to have an overall negative impression of it, now, despite there being some interesting ideas that are potentially explored. Now, the people behind the Captain America movie, we have Anthony and Joe Russo who are directing it. These are the same two who directed uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is pretty much the best movie that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has in it. I suppose you can debate that and Guardians, depending on what you want for tone. But on the objective scale of good to bad, I think you I have a hard time placing anything above The Winter Soldier. And those are the same two who are going to direct this one, so that makes me... I'm less leery. I will say this. There's still every chance that this movie fails. And there's just... it's It's just very... There's a lot of stuff here that they could trip over and fall flat on their faces. I have a lot of confidence in the people involved in this one that it won't happen. I'm just putting it out there that it is possible. Now, the primary clash is actually going to be between, assuming they remain close to how the gov- how it was set up initially, the primary conflict is going to be between Iron Man and Captain America on the pro and anti-registration sides of the argument, respectively. They'll wind up coming together to beat Baron Zemo, uh, who has been revealed as being in this. I'm trying to remember who they got to play him, because they have announced that. Uh, Daniel Bruhl, who I should know, actually. Uh, he's going to be playing Baron Helmut Zemo, who's going to... Let me see if I can find something else that this guy's done that I might know of. But anyway, Zemo is, uh, on his own, is actually a high-ranking Hydra goon. He's 
uh, a longtime foe of Captain America's. Depending on the version you're going with, he fought him in uh, World War II. Uh, they're not going to go with that version, obviously, because uh, they try. You know, they're not going to have him be in suspended animation or whatnot. But uh, again, longtime foe of Captain America in the source material, Master Swordsman specifically. Uh, and again, a high-ranking Hydra official. He's going to be kind of the one pulling the strings in this, getting them to fight each other. Then at the end, I imagine they're going to realize they're being manipulated, and they will uh, come together to beat Zemo, which I'm fine with. Um, he had a minor role in, Twin in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, but I'm really struggling to find anything. Okay, the most... Uh, for anyone who watched the uh, 2013 film Rush, he played Nicky Lauda. So uh, I haven't seen it, but okay, that's going to be probably the most th the thing he's most recognizable for at this point. Uh, they also I, I couldn't help but laugh at this when the, they announced that Martin Freeman has joined the cast of Captain America: The Winter Soldier. They have not specified his role, but I can't help but feel they cast Martin Freeman in this. He'll be. If I had to guess, he will kind of be taking over the Clark Gregg, Phil Coulson role, as far as in the movies, because, again, Coulson is actually still alive and in leading, you know, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has ups and downs. But I I got a sneaking suspicion that they have cast Freeman in this movie just so that they can cast, so they can cast him in the same recurring role in November of the same year for Doctor Strange. Now, for those of you who don't know... Uh, Doctor Strange, it's been confirmed that Jonathan Strange... Jonathan Strange? I forget his first name. Let me see if I can find that real fast, because I'm going to feel really stupid. Stephen Strange. Uh, one of my brothers corrected me. Anyway, they've confirmed that Stephen Strange is going to be played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Which is fine casting. Cumberbatch is a fine actor. But I, I got a sneaking suspicion they're going to be trying to put Martin Freeman into that movie just so we can reunite Freeman and Cumberbatch on the screen again. And as a fan of the BBC series Sherlock, I can't blame them at all for making that particular choice, because those two have a lot of chemistry between them. It's very, very... They have great interplay. Always have. I mean, some of the best stuff in the second Hobbit movie was Martin Freeman as Bilbo talking with Smaug as played by Benedict Cumberbatch, so... You can take that for what it's worth. Uh, but as far as Civil War goes, I'm actually really hopeful we get an intelligent movie, because we're going to get, again, a lot of conflict between Stark and Rogers, and this is not Tony Stark being mind-controlled. He's not going to turn into a mustache-twirling villain who wants to take over the world. He's not going to be seeking anything to try and blow up the world. You know, there's, there's none of that. This is simply going to be a conflicting ideology with the ideology that Steve Rogers has, and that opens up all kinds of possibilities from a villain standpoint to be, you know, deep, to have complexity to your character. And I really hope that they're able to keep that. And again, the other, a couple of the other best villains from the MCU were, you know, Council, uh, Councilman Pierce from The Winter Soldier, who, despite being, you know, a villain, the villain for that movie by and large, he, his point was not invalid. He was not trying to destroy the universe or take control of it. He wanted to wipe out potentially superpowered beings so that uh, they would not no longer pose a threat to the resurgence of Hydra, which again, wrong avenue of approach, but it's hard to fault him for thinking that the preponderance of people who can't be controlled growing 
is a bad thing. And I'm really kind of hopeful we'll get more of that when it comes to Civil War. We'll get some good conflict between, again, Iron Man and Captain America. And Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans have both, in all of their previous interactions, they may be friendly, but there's still that friction between them. And I'm looking forward to Again, I'm really anticipating that movie because I have such high hopes for, again, everyone involved in it has a great track record of writing, acting, you know, putting everything together. And I think we're going to get a lot of you know, interesting stuff out of Civil War. And it'll be, uh, again, I, I have complete faith in Robert Downey Jr. to, to uh, you know, play Stark at this point. I, I can't imagine anyone else inhabiting that armor. I really can't. And he's, he gets to play a bit of a villain for this one. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, I mean, again, this, the Civil War storyline also splits a lot of the superhero community down the middle as far as that goes. Uh, so we have we also have returning for uh, Civil War, you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson as uh, the Black Widow. Sebastian Stan's coming back as Bucky the Winter Soldier. But the Vision is in this one, uh, you know, Paul Bettany, uh, Anthony Mackie as Falcon, Don Cheadle's War Machine... Uh, Jeremy Renner's going to be in it as far as that goes I, he kind of retired from the Avengers at the end of Age of Ultron but he's going to be in this one to one extent or another uh, the Scarlet Witch is coming back Paul Rudd uh, again as Ant-Man who is going to be is going to be in here in some respect uh, Frank Grillo who plays uh, Brock Rumlow who's going to be Crossbones is going to be in here they're bringing back William Hurd as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross which I I have nothing against William Hurt. I, just, I mentioned this last last week. I don't think they could have possibly cast anyone more perfect for the role of General Thunderbolt Ross than Sam Elliott, who was in the Ang Lee Hulk movie. And when they remade The Incredible Hulk to try and, for Marvel to reclaim the rights to the character as far as movies go, they recast William Hurt in that role. And it's not that he does a bad job. Because he doesn't. It's just an instance of, you got it, right the first time and it's almost impossible to beat it i mean i imagine and not to the same scale maybe necessarily but with the upcoming spider-man movie which yes they're rebooting spider-man to be part of the greater marvel cinematic universe they were only two-thirds of the way through the story they were trying to tell with the amazing spider-man now we're, we're cool here right yeah anyway aside from that they're rebooting spider-man again and if they try to get anyone besides J.K. Simmons, Oscar winner J.K. Simmons, mind you, to come back for the role of J. Jonah Jameson, they're just setting them up to fail. I, again, perfect. There is no other word for what J.K. Simmons does in that particular role other than perfect. Now, Sam Elliott, maybe not perfect to the same degree that, again, I can't imagine anyone besides Simmons as, J as Jameson. It would just be a, a big mistake if they try to do that. And, I again, it's not that I don't like William Hurt, it's just that Sam Elliott was so good as Thunderbolt Ross, and recasting him was... I'm, I don't know if they tried to get him back for it. If they didn't, that I think that was a huge mistake. Again, not that Hurt does a bad job, but you got it right. Why mess with it? Uh, but... Crossbones is a notorious villain. He's actually, a, again, kind of a thug for Hydra. 
but also a bit of a mercenary. He's actually the one who shoots Captain America at the end of Civil War in the comics and kills him. Uh, on the orders of the Red Skull and that, but not. So, I have a really hard time imagining they're going to bring the Red Skull back for this just because Hugo Weaving doesn't really want to. Uh, all right, we have calling in now uh, Long Road Drew and title card artist Benjamin Cologne, who's kind enough to call in. How you doing, Ben? Hey, Robert. You hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. Looks like you got Skype uh, Skype figured out again. Yeah, I found the Skype button. It was hiding from me for a couple of days. It does that sometimes. So, what can I do for you? Um, just thought I'd, uh, I didn't want to, like, try to hijack your show or anything, but, uh, no, no, I've been no, listening you're fine. just been listening. I want, before you get too far off of, um, Civil War, um, I wanted to, I wanted to see how you felt about, um, well, because you mentioned um, Tony Stark is probably going to be doing a little bit more of the villain role in um, Captain America: Civil War, at least not if not necessarily a villain, then most certainly an antagonist, which are not always necessarily the same things. I know you know that, but it's worth mentioning. It's worth repeating. <laughs> yeah, um, but I would argue that, um, or you know, at least just state that that. A lot of that has been built up a, uh, a lot, and we and we've talked about this on, on other shows, and you've talked about this on other shows. A lot of the events of the previous few Avengers movies seems like it's been kind of building up to this. It's been building up to this point where Stark is is uh, trying to basically trying to be a good guy and trying to do the right thing, and and trying to use his abilities and his technology to help the world. Um, but maybe not necessarily going about it in the in the most uh, prudent way. And um, in the Civil War comic, which I also have mentioned I am not a fan of, to say the very least, uh, he also, he sort of, it's hard to it's hard to say because just the characterization is so off, but the, the way that goes is that he sort of decides that this is the only, you know, this has to, this is the way it has to be, and that uh you know he's convinced that he's doing what's best for everybody um and i guess you could see that playing it playing into the into the movie um knowing what you know about the about the comic and um what we're what we're seeing um do you think do you think it's going to play that way do you think it it's been built up over the previous marvel movies that that robert that you know, Robert Downey Jr. as playing Tony Stark is, is going to come off convincingly as a guy that's sort of like on, you know, at the end of his rope and and, and has tried everything to help people, and this is this may be his last resort. I would not be surprised if that's the route they go. And Tony Stark is, and you're much more familiar with the source material of this than I am, so by all means, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. But as far as the MCU goes, they have kind of put Tony Stark in a bit of the Reed Richards position. As far, in as much as Reed Richards in the comics is the smartest man on the planet, though Victor Von Doom begs to differ, but Reed is the smartest man alive, and he just has a deep kind of inability to reconcile his intellect with the world around him, and he can't seem to, you know, anytime he comes across a problem that he can see the solution to, but no one else wants to or is willing to go along with him, it it doesn't make sense to him. It kind of shuts down how his mind works. And I think we're getting a bit of the same of that with Tony Stark here in that he sees, you know, okay, we need to be guarded against 
not just arms dealers, but the forthcoming extraterrestrial battles, which are inevitable. We need the Ultron program, which also needs to be an independent artificial intelligence. And everyone else thinks this is a bad idea. Why, you know, why don't you see what I see? And I think we're just going to get the culmination of that when it comes to you know, uh, civil war. He's going, you know, the Hulk's going to go loose again, or there's going to be some kind of other precipitating event. It probably to close out the first act of the movie. That's going to tip all the scales against you know, the independence of the Avengers. And he's going to be leading that charge, by and large, because he's not going to be able to reconcile you know, humans living their lives with people being stupid, uh, which is an odd thing. But I, I imagine that's kind of where he's going to land on this, is just no one's being responsible enough as far as this goes. We have to do something uh, from a greater standpoint. And uh, again, Captain America is firmly going to come down on the side of you can't license people to live by and large, and very few of these, you know, super-powered beings are, ju- are are doing anything other than just kind of living their lives. And it's, I imagine that's kind of going to be the crux of the conflict, and I, I'm very much okay with that. Uh, he, I think they've set him up wonderfully as this guy who's smarter than everyone else, by and large, and is going to just kind of keep running up against the wall of, not everyone thinks the way you do. Not everyone sees things the way you do. And it's going to keep driving him a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And finally, he's going to snap and go, you know what? You're all idiots. I'm the only one who can do this. And I, that very much reminds me of certain storylines that involve Reed Richards, to kind of get back around to my regular, to my initial point there. And it's uh, kind of a shame that we're not going to get any interaction between Stark and Richards, because they had, I mean, in... Again, the, in the comics or even some of the cartoon variants, the animated shows, their interactions are some of the best because you have, again, the two smartest guys in the room and they're able to converse on a, you know, in an intellectual level. I mean, the joke was in the first Avengers that uh, Stark talks with, you know, is going on about what it would take to get the cube to stabilize and open and Banner understands what he's saying. And finally, someone who speaks English. And it's just a shame we're not going to get any of the interplay between those two, courtesy of, you know, Fox and their desire to screw that franchise even further. That was always, uh, that was always a fun interaction in the comics when you get, because a lot of Marvel's characters are, are scientists, but, you know, with their own unique quirks. So it was always fun when you got one or two or more geniuses in the Marvel Universe together. I always joked, like, I wanted to, I, I always wanted to draw a comic that was like Marvel science bros and just, like, have it be... <laughs> Have it be Reed Richards, Tony Stark, Bruce Banner, Hank, and Hank Pym all like you know in the same in the same team together with like Peter Parker as their wacky but lovable neighbor. So that's a great idea, actually. He, he could be like Jazz from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like you know they just he'd be kind of annoying, but you know and they try to throw him out, but since he can swing on webs, he'd keep coming back. Anyway, that would be, that, that's rife for with comedic potential. You should, you should pitch that. Good of mine. Um, what, what I also wanted to, um, in a bigger sort of way, like, I, I think it it feels like Civil War is kind of being positioned, it's already being called, uh, Avengers 2.5, and every time I hear somebody say that, it sounds less and less like they're joking, uh, considering how many people they have from every other movie that they're bringing back in this movie, 
Yeah, we're it's, getting the entire new Avengers team in this one at the very it's, least. It's Avengers. It's like Avengers two and a half in all but name at this point, and I think this is going to end up being the this is going to be the movie on which the the whole rest of the MCU turns. Um, this is a big one. I think you know Mark said it last week. This is this is a huge deal, and and more to the point, if this movie doesn't you know knock it out of the park, then every everything everything they're doing after that is in big trouble. Yeah, because uh, you're getting a couple of kind of non sequiturs between Civil War and uh, Infinity War Part One. You've got Civil War, then you've got Doctor Strange, which, as much as I'm looking forward to it, I imagine it's going to be Benedict Cumberbatch squaring off with a giant CGI'd monster that is Dormammu. I have a hard time seeing that playing out any other way, with maybe an undercurrent of him and Baron Mordo, Mordo having their fallout towards the end and then setting up Mordo for, for uh, future episodes into that series. But it, it, look, it's going to be... Dormammu, and he's just a guy who wants to take over and rule. I mean, that that's kind of the sum total of his character, which harkens back to problems that the MCU has had all along. Then you've got Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which, again, despite how much I'm sure that, that movie's not going to suck, it takes place on the other side of the freaking galaxy. So it doesn't impact a lot of the MCU all that much, unless we've got a lot of Thanos stuff forthcoming, and I don't think Here. they are. Here's what I want to add to that, actually, and maybe even Doctor Strange. I have no idea what the hell they're going to do with Doctor Strange. They have announced almost nothing except, you know, what the movie the movie is going to be about, and then, uh, you know, the the listing on IMDb and just about everywhere else is just his origin, which anybody who's read the comics knows what his origin is. They've told and they've they've told nobody anything else about that. Benedict Cumberbatch is announced as the as the lead. The only other name listed is uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, who starred in Twelve Years a Slave, and he his role has not even been announced. So he may they may cast him as Mordo, they may cast him as a vo- as whatever voice of CG Dormammu that they may decide to do. I have no idea. Phenomenal actor, but they're not saying nobody said yet what he's whether or not first of all whether or not he's really even going to be in the movie, and if he is, who he's playing. So that's pretty much a mystery. What I'm thinking for Guardians of the Galaxy, and if they're going to do Infinity War, and if they're going to base it in any way on the original Infinity Gauntlet story, which I actually have in front of me right now, because in case I need to look back and reference something, um, at some point they have to introduce a character by the name of Adam Warlock, who is a huge, huge, probably, possibly indispensable part of the original Infinity Gauntlet story. If I had to take a guess he's going to make his debut either in Doctor Strange or more likely in Guardians 2. I would lean towards Guardians 2 just because, well, actually, one of those you know fun little Easter egg things that they throw in there. You can actually see his cocoon at the end of Thor The Dark World when they take the ether to the Collector, and then when the Guardians go visit him in Guardians, uh, the cocoon is hatched open. Uh, really? Again, one of the, yeah, I was surprised. I... Uh, I I'd miss that, and now I'm going to have... And now, as if I needed another Guardians of the Galaxy, again, I'm going to have to go watch that again and keep that in mind. Yeah, it's in the background somewhere and split open again. It's intact when uh, Sif and... Uh, I think it's Voltra, uh Force Dog is with her. Uh, take him the ether. But there's a, there's a, 
a lot of thought going out there that Adam Warlock is actually going to wind up being the father of uh, Star-Lord, which would make sense to me. I mean, they're not going to go with the original source material there because it doesn't lend itself to anything, really. Um, Jason is kind of a prick, and it's kind of a stupid name, too, all things considered. And Warlock being his father works from a lot of different perspectives, and Warlock is... Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's at the very least the Keeper of the Soul Gem, which they have to introduce, as well as the Time Gem of the final two. And Warlock could be a big deal. Warlock's a, well, Warlock himself is a tad emotionally unstable. Uh, he's very... I don't want to say completely bipolar, but that's kind of the sense I got from him. I mean, you're more familiar with him than I am. Is is that accurate? Only, only slightly. I think it's... I think that's... Uh, I think that particular word has been uh has been thrown around to describe him before um i uh without giving too much away of, of what happens in infinity gauntlet and therefore what may happen in in avengers infinity war without giving too much of that away um there's actually a comic that one of the earliest comics i ever used to buy which is called um warlock and the infinity watch it was basically a follow-up to the infinity gauntlet and it follows adam warlock uh after the events of of the Infinity Gauntlet, and uh, like I said, without giving too much away, basically the fir- the whole entire first issue uh, uh, deals with his mental stability and and whether or not he's competent or uh, emotionally stable to wield you know certain amounts of power. And uh, again, without potentially giving too much away, there I seem to recall the Living Tribunal found him unworthy. Uh, a couple of people found him unworthy, actually. <laughs> um, but at the same time, a couple of people, uh, a couple of people, you know, argued in his favor. And meanwhile, um, they're do they're all doing this sort of with the with, with an eye towards not pissing him off, lest they lest he decide to just blink them all out of existence. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so was, that. That's always an odd scene to have to write. It's it's really well done actually, but um, well you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see like where they go with that and and like I said um, actually I know you're going in order here so I don't want to get too far ahead. Uh, I'll but, go ahead and um, jump ahead if you'd like. I'm fine. Like I said, if if they're doing Infinity War based on in any way on the original Infinity Gauntlet story, there's actually there's one scene that I'm I know they're gonna do, but they're gonna have to do it differently because unfortunately and this is this this kills me cuz cuz there's one scene that's one of the most awesome scenes in the entire, in, in the entire comic dealing with with Thanos there, there's a scene and we've talked about this uh, offline um there's a scene where where Thanos actually confronts Captain America which is pretty awesome um that scene also involves the silver surfer which will which will almost certainly not happen in this movie um, which is a crying shame. Oh, yeah. Because I know the sequence you're talking about, and it is it's supremely awesome, and we don't get the surfer because he's tied in with the Fantastic Four, and they're busy being violated from a creative standpoint. Which I also think... Is, I, I I don't know the legalities of all of this, but I wonder how, Mar- how on Earth Marvel has the rights to the Inhu- Inhumans, who also are very much characters introduced to Fantastic Four, but... That's a whole other thing that I'll probably look up sometime when I'm not... If I had to guess, they signed over the rights to the Surfer when they signed away the Fantastic Four, but no one wanted the Inhumans. Yeah, that's that's a way to to go about doing it. 
Well, it actually works out in their favor because in the greater Marvel comic universe, it also includes you know mutants, which are in the X-Men in this case. And there's a lot of stuff that they play into as far as overarching storylines. And now with Marvel having access to the Inhumans, they can just substitute them for the X-Men. And they're going to... Um, you know, they've already I, I, introduced that on Agents of Shield, haven't they? I, yeah, they have. I, I'm I'm talking a little bit more of the of the comics, and I don't know if you're reading any current Marvel comics or familiar with anything that's going on, but it's it's going that way, and it's going that way big time. I won't get too much into well, that. Th- but. Well, yeah, haven't they talked about like the X Men leaving for another like pocket universe or something? Indeed, they uh, have. And and uh, just the Inhumans kind of taking over that role. I mean, the crazy thing about that is, on the one hand, it makes sense. I mean, other people have brought up the oddness of people cheering Captain America while spitting on Cyclops. And not because Cyclops is a dick, which he is, but because he's a mutant and Captain America was a science experiment. That never made a whole lot of sense. So having the X-Men be in their own world where their conflict with, you know, other versions of humanity and whatnot can exist and make sense narratively are... I'm okay with that in one sense. On the other hand, it seems like Marvel is doing this because they don't want their movie characters being associated with characters from another movie franchise on their comic pages, and that is extraordinarily stupid from from where I sit. There, there are financial reasons, too, why they, they're, they're separating the characters a lot more. Um... I'd also mention, as somebody who doesn't absolutely hate Cyclops, like, I'll say, like, you know, Cyclops is only a dick when he's written by a lazy writer, so... Very take true. Take that for what it's worth. If you want to read, if you want to read Cyclops characterized very well, actually, Joss Whedon wrote a 25-issue uh, series called Astonishing X-Men. It's one of the best X-Men series in probably the past 10, 15 years, um, and his Cyclops was perfectly okay, and, and a and a very good, interesting character, and wasn't out of character. He just wrote him. He wrote him with some personality and, and you know, with some likability. And sometimes that's all you need. I feel the same way about him that I do about like Leonardo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, if he's written lazily, he comes across as kind of a condescending dick. When you do him correctly, you know, leadership is a tough thing. That's you know, having other people's lives almost. You know, very nearly literally in your hands as far as your decisions affecting their well-being, that's not something that's easy to deal with. And when written properly, it's very interesting. And Cyclops is, again, when I say he's a bit of a dick, that's because he's been written that way a lot by, like you said, lazy writers. But written in, written competently, he's a very interesting character. I mean, his uh, coming together with and then falling out of, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, this particular sequence, but it's the episode where he and Wolver—it's the series where he and Wolverine finally kind of bury the hatchet a little bit, and then he winds up kind of encouraging his daughter to wipe out a bunch of people from existence. And Wolverine decides he's having none of that, and it was just because I felt, from what I understand of that, his perspective was very much just doing what he felt was right, and his and not trying to be, you know, just... Because he wound up being, again, in some later episodes, just not a, you know, the kind of person who you wonder why people follow. But when he's written properly, he's very much an inspiration to those around him. And a fair amount of that also falls on the people who write the movies, because 
whoever writes those seems to have no idea how to properly write Cyclops. And then, uh, you know, poor James Marsden uh, can't seem to act around that visor to save his life. So you got two strikes against you there already. But I feel like I've tangented you quite enough. Uh... Yeah, that's all right. Tangents are fun. Oh, uh, real briefly before you go, uh, the upcoming Thor movie, uh, Thor Ragnarok, I know they haven't announced anything about this, but if they stick with the Ragnarok storyline, that's going to mean Surtur on screen. Do you think they're going to use Ragnarok more as the description of the end of Asgard in a more literal sense in that, like, you know, an alien force, probably Thanos, coming after the uh, Space Stone, which is the Tesseract, comes to Asgard and wreaks havoc, or are they actually going to go with uh, the Norse version of Ragnarok where, you know, all hell breaks loose? Um, I have limited knowledge of Thor from the comics, um, but I know Ragnarok has happened more than once in the comics, uh, more than a few times. There's a couple of different ways they could go. Um, I tend to wonder if they're going to take that opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm sure they've worked something out with Chris Hemsworth, and I can't imagine him not being in, in the Infinity War movies, but I think they might also take take the opportunity to kind of close the book on his story as it relates to what's going on in Asgard. So I could, pro- I could, I could see them actually Ragnarok as, a, you know, as you might understand it from Norse mythology and, um, and the end of and, Asgard as a realm. Right. And having that, uh, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe he's, maybe the realm is destroyed. Maybe he's cut off from it. This time, you know, in, in in the first Thor movie, he was cut off from it and trapped uh, on Asgard because the Bifrost was destroyed. Uh, maybe he's trapped on Earth this time and can't get back. If he and, comes and... to Earth to like talk with the Sentry about the mind, or talk with the Vision about the mind. He comes to Earth for some reason, and while he's gone, you know, Thanos or Surtur wrecks Asgard. That could be rough. Well, um, once again, we you know. Without spoiling too much uh, in the in what in the sort of goings on of the recent MCU, there's there's a possibility that Thanos may already be on Asgard. So. It's entirely possible, you know. He's well. I think the main difference in the two scenes we're referencing uh, has to do with actually the gl- the hand because the. Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil too much, but the gauntlet in Asgard is right-handed, and the one mm-hmm. that Thanos has seems to be left-handed. So I don't know if that plays at all, but by the same token, if he had shown up at some point there and just – because, I mean, Odin's not there. You know, that's not Odin sitting on the throne. That's Loki pretending to be Odin. And that's a monumental power difference. You know, Odin accesses the life force of all things for his power. Loki has little illusions. Now, one of those things can actually possibly contest Thanos, you know, pre-Gauntlet. One of those is laughable. And the one with Tom Hiddleston is the laughable one, folks. Well, Loki's biggest strength has also always been, be, you know, the ability to talk his way out of things. So there's that, too. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he just hands over the Tesseract. Thanos shows up to claim it, to kill him, basically. You know, didn't I warn you there would be no barren moon that you could hide on if you failed me? And, no, no, look, look, we agreed I'd give it to you. See, here it is. We're good. Now, please don't decapitate me violently. I could see, I could certainly see that happening. That'd be a pretty good, uh, that'd be a pretty good, uh, 
seen to watch the two of them play. Actually, yeah, bef- before I get going, like, because um, I know there's not too much time left, but uh, I know you guys talked a little bit about Josh Brolin as Thanos last week. Am I, am I correct? Because I know you cut off bit, at a yeah. certain point. Um, I still have my concerns about how he's going to play that um, because w- what I know of Josh Brolin as an actor and what I've seen him in, most of the things that I've seen him in, I don't... Uh, he's not. I don't see a whole lot of range from him. I mean, he's. You know, there are actors that play similar roles and they're quite okay in in the similar roles that they play. They got their wheelhouse. They got their comfort zone, and they're good at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and Josh Brolin is kind of known for these sort of uh, stoic, uh, you know, sort of quiet, hard ass uh, characters. You know, uh, No Country for Old Men and. Uh, um, American gangster and in uh and his spot on Tommy Lee Jones impression in Men in Black and Men in Black Three. Um That was Thanos still hilarious. Is, that was <laughs> oh absolute that was that was creepy actually. But um but Thanos is not really that character. Not really. Um he sort of plays at it. Thanos is kind of an interesting character when you really start getting into like what he's about and, and, and how he plays things he's he's play he he's this he's basically a madman that's playing at being a ruler and playing at being a king and to a certain extent and this is what infinity gauntlet is all about he he succeeds um but he's still a madman and and that comes through that comes through in the comics that comes through in um I think I'm, uh, you know, way back when I, I, I mentioned uh, on another episode of Everyone's Back, I mentioned the Silver Surfer animated series where he's also a character. And it came through in that even, and I kind of like that characterization. Not not the voice actor. I like the way he played it. He And he played this sort of, you know, like... Uh, it's one of those things like, like, like the scene at the end of Seven where Brad Pitt asks Kevin Spacey, you know, when you're crazy, do you know that you're crazy? And I... I I'd see like Thanos as a character who's crazy but has no idea that he is. Uh, I'd agree with that, yeah. And I have, after you expressed those reservations to me, I thought about it, and I'm with you in that I'm not sure if Brolin's going to be able to do the level of just insanity that exists within Thanos. Because you know, as far as if they limit him being crazy to him having the crazy smile, I'm going to be severely disappointed in everyone involved. Because, like you said, Thanos is not flat as far as characters go. He's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said he's crazy playing at being a, a sane ruler. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff that you can do with that if you're willing to invest the time and the energy from a writing and an acting standpoint. And I hope he can pull it off, but I'm I'm a little bit leery now. You know, it's... It's not something I've ever seen him do is go that extreme with it, and there's extreme insanity within Thanos. And it's also I also tend to wonder. And we saw a little bit of this, this in Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I wonder how much of it is how much CGI they're going to lean on for him. Um, That's an odd was... one. <laughs> well, because Thanos is physically quite large, so you have to CGI that to one degree or another. I would hope they don't CGI him too much just because, I mean, again, there are things you have to CGI about it, but 
I, for all of the like actual dialogue and interacting, I would hope that they're able to just kind of work around, you know, a, a good prosthetic on him. And hopefully, you know, Brolin is able to work with a good prosthetic instead of, you know, letting it stifle him. Something I wonder. I mean, uh, for the most part, you know, a lot of the the people responsible for um, for what we know is the MCU right now have made some pretty good good steps. Like you said, the, uh, where they sort of stumble is a lot of the villain uh, characterization and a lot of the a lot of the villains. Um, but you know, they established Thanos, you know, three years ago in in this universe and they've they've done a pretty good job of teasing, you know, his his involvement and his growing, you know, influence and all of the infinity uh infinity gauntlet stuff that's that's circling around him. Um I would I would hope they're taking, you know, they're they're taking that very seriously and they realize, you know, if you gotta do one villain right in this whole thing, this is the one that you have to do right or it's like everything that you've been building since 2008 really with Iron Man in the beginning of this is is going to fall apart and it's going to have been for nothing if you're going to build a guy I mean in the realm of professional wrestling if you're going to build up your monster heel like this he better not come out and be Glacier <laughs> that's pretty good actually okay uh, just as kind of my thoughts there alright um, the last one I want to get your thoughts on I mean I'm skipping several of these because uh, we all know Black Panther, the villain in Black Panther is going to be uh, Ulysses Claw, introduced in the uh, Age of Ultron and played by the great Andy Serkis. And I don't say that great lightly. That man is a phenomenal actor. It's a, I maintain it's a crying shame he didn't get nominated for anything for his portrayal of Caesar in the, the second Planet of the Apes movie. Just I an agree. absolute Loved shame. Loved it. Uh, that man is the Laurence Olivier of motion capture. And it's sad that he's not getting the recognition he deserves because of that particular medium. I think I think history will be pretty kind to him though. Well, it'll 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 take a while but history is going to be very kind to him as an actor and it's well deserved. Yeah. Uh anyway, the last one I wanted to ask about uh two real quickly. I'm not familiar enough with Captain Marvel uh as a comic book ma- uh, source material to know who they would potentially get to be uh, her villain for that movie. I I like the character by and large. I've just not kind of gone into you know her backstory and whatnot. So I'm real curious. What do you think they would do with her for that movie? Man, this is this is a kind of a blind spot for me, unfortunately, because I'm not too familiar either with um I'm not too familiar with with you know as far as history goes with Captain Marvel. Um. I've read some of the current uh, comics, which which will probably be what the movies are based on more. The stuff written by uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick in the past couple of years, really good stuff. I'm I actually, you know, it's one of the comics that I, you know, that I read with my my oldest niece. Um, it's good stuff, but um, what I can say is they've already introduced the Kree in Agents of Shield, so that's a thing in the MCU. I could see them expanding on that. I could see something having to do with that, um, having to do with with the whole alien race. I, I really wish I could I could get into more of that, but that seems to be where they w- it seems to me where they would most likely go with that. Um, you know, Captain Marvel uh, and you know Carol Danvers in, in particular. Her, her background is um, that she's an Air Force pilot, so. Uh, I don't, you know, they haven't announced, uh, God help me if she's going to, you know, how much 
screen time would she actually have if they actually introduced her in Civil War, in Civil War with everybody else? But that well, they introduced like, uh, Sharon Carter very briefly in uh, Winter Soldier, so they, they might go that route. It wouldn't shock me if uh, the character at least shows up in some capacity on Agents of Shield before she gains her powers. Yeah, I could say yeah, I could see that too. Um, but Captain Marvel is one of those that. You know, we we we've got even less information about that than we do about Doctor Strange at this point. They haven't even officially announced the lead, though they've been talking about basically every 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 actress between the ages of I think 20 and 40 with blonde hair has been rumored at this point for for Captain Marvel. It's it's the whole like uh, you know Superman lives rumor rumor mill from the 90s all over again. Yeah. Uh, Real quickly, though, anyone that you would like to see uh, as Carol uh, portray Carol Danvers? Um, I'll probably eh, I'll I'll go with the I'll go with the popular choice, and I'd, I'd say uh, you could do worse than Katie Sackhoff. And well, you certainly could. Uh, there's plenty of people out there with a great deal less talent. All right, the last one I want to ask about uh, very briefly uh, is the Inhumans, which is going to end Phase Three in July of 2019. Uh, and again, no information on this at all other than it's the Inhumans, which on the one hand means Black Bolt, which has me uh, marking out like a little girl. <laughs> I I like that character. I really do. I think he's awesome. And I really hope that we get a good ver- – it'll be interesting to see him on screen because he doesn't speak. I mean, ever. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how they write that around. But it, real quickly, do you think they'll just do the uh, you know the royal family kind of schism with him and his brother going at it, or do we maybe go a slightly different direction? No, I think I, th- I think that's that's probably the the most the safest route. The uh, there aren't um, see once again the Inhumans are Inhumans are a group of characters that are tied very closely in the comics with the Fantastic Four. So what the the problem with that is there aren't a whole lot of inhuman stories uh in which the Fantastic Four aren't a very pivotal you know, don't have a very pivotal role in. So if you're trying to adapt something like that into movie form, then it gets tricky and then, you know, you you remove the characters that you don't have the legal rights to use and suddenly you got no story to work with. Um there was there's one there was one story published, and I want to get the year right. It's right around, I think, 1999 or 2000. That was published uh, is by Paul Jenkins and uh, Jay Lee. It was, in a, it, it was this 12-issue uh, Inhumans maxi-series, and it it it, uh, it dealt very specifically with that. It dealt very specifically with the Inhumans and their sort of internal hierarchy and, and them as a family and Black Bolt well, they're as, a caste as, as system, a aren't they? Uh, I'm, you're born into a role, and that is your role. Sort of. Because um, the thing is, there's they they have this whole thing, and, and once this is another thing they covered a little bit on Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., because there's birth, and then there's also terogenesis, where you... Yeah. Where where you're you're born human and then you 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 go through the terogenesis process you're exposed to the mist and then you gain whatever random you know super abilities that you that you get and then your role is based on that society is based on that and um, oh this also means we get lockjaw yeah <laughs> I think that that's uh, that makes me happy on so many levels um, I like, yeah I like lockjaw for those of you but, who don't know that's uh, 
Black Bolt's super-powered uh, bulldog. He teleports or something, doesn't he? I forget yes. specifically. Yeah, he, he teleports. Um, by the way, if you're a fan of Black, Black Bolt, um, one rumor I have heard, and I hope you're a fan of Vin Diesel, because um, that is one rumor that I've heard. You know, Vin Diesel not speaking is usually okay. Uh, no. Which... Uh, uh, I, you know, Vin Diesel has kind of grown on me lately. I spent a long time not being a fan of his based on, I mean, specifically uh, not just the Fast and the Furious franchise, but a couple of things he did after that, uh, you know, like Triple X or something else he did that was really stupid right around that time. And it just, it bugged me. Then uh, about a year or so ago, I wound up uh, hosting the Long Road to Ruin series talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise. And as much humor as I got out of reaming two and three across the coals, and deservedly so, I might add, those movies are. Ugh. But uh, Sean Comer and I talked a little bit about Vin Diesel, uh, specifically in the first movie and whatnot, and I kind of he kind of grew on me with what he can do as an actor. The problem I think with those movies uh, was just the writing and the overall visual uh, direction they went was just so grating to me on so many levels but diesel has the potential to just kind of act with his face and with his eyes and there's not a lot of guys who can do that effectively and i think he can so if he's got to be in a completely non-speaking role apart from occasionally unleashing a scream that you know could tear apart a planet i think you could do a lot worse than a guy who has the capabilities and the emotion through his face and eyes than you would get with Vin Diesel. You'd need a guy who has presence, who just has, you know, presence without any speaking at all. Uh, I think he, he I think he could fill that bill. I don't, once again, I don't know how true that rumor is, but supposedly Vin Diesel negotiated with Marvel when he, when he got the role as Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy. Supposedly he, he may or may not have negotiated for more than one role in the MCU, and that's kind of the one that everybody's zeroing in on. Uh, you know, so, it wouldn't shock me. Vin Diesel again for my complaints about his choices of roles and some of the way he and some of the acting he's done is a very smart businessman. I mean, he negotiated specifically his appearance in Tokyo Drift was there specifically so he could regain the rights to that franchise and then resurrect it over the next two films as a billion dollar franchise that is it, and again, I mean, I can't say anything negative about a few of some of those later movies. And he, again, he showed up at the end of Tokyo Drift for no money, just for the rights to that movie, because he knew he could still make money off of it. The man is, uh, he's a very intelligent businessman. And if he's, if he negotiated for extra roles, it, that wouldn't shock me at all if he did that. That's very much in character with what I've heard of his just, you know, business acumen. And again, you could do worse than Vin Diesel as Black Bolt. And then see, this is what I wonder about, because then getting getting back to Inhumans and what they would pro what they would have to do for if they were doing an Inhumans movie and it was based anything at all like the the comic that I'm talking about, or anything you know, because this has also happened you know in in several comics. The main antagonist is uh, in, within Inhumans is usually uh, Black Bolt's brother Maximus. Who is another character who um, who is probably an actor's dream in that he's just so seen chewingly insane uh, that uh, you know I could see I could see them like I could see them having a lot of fun with the casting and Marvel uh, one thing Marvel is almost always uh, you know ha has a very 
very, very, very good track record with um, wasting Christopher Eccleston, notwithstanding. I'm still upset about that. But they they have a pretty pretty good track record with casting and casting the right roles and, and sometimes some unexpectedly interesting people in in certain roles. Well, yeah, their casting choices have by and large, and I would even say with Eccleston, that was a fault of, uh, that had nothing to do with him. I actually was kind of interested in him as Malekith. What failed was the writing of that character and the overall direction. Utterly. But, but Eccleston as Malekith, that was, that was a solid choice. It was just executed poorly. But, I mean, I can't really think off the top of my head of any poor casting decisions they've made. It, it, my gripes have always been, you know, with the writing. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Sam Rockwell, but he's proven a very capable actor. So him as Justin Hammer, fine in theory, they wrote Justin Hammer as a high-functioning retard, now to quote Mark Radulich. I didn't dislike him in that movie, but, you know, that's just me. I, I mean, again, Rockwell did fine with it. It was just written very... Uh, I mean, Mickey Rourke as Whiplash was, uh, well, kind of a hybrid of Whiplash and the Crimson Dynamo, but he was... Uh, again, a very talented actor. They just wrote the character and kind of paced that whole movie improperly at times. And you can see last week's episode for a full discussion of that. Uh, I have, I by and large have faith in their casting at the very least. They do a great job with... Uh, I mean, again, Chris Evans as uh, Steve Rogers was a shock to me. I mean, the only, thing I knew him, the only thing I knew him from was you know, Johnny Storm in the uh, Fantastic Four movie, which... He did a good job, and then uh, I actually had seen Cellular a couple of times and was surprised at how kind of good he was in that. Yeah, that movie's other issues notwithstanding. But still, I mean, just a guy who didn't have a whole lot of, you know, mainstream access or whatnot, and then he comes in there and perfectly inhabits uh, the body of Captain America. It's very. Uh, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner was surprising in a lot of ways. I mean, you knew they weren't going to let. Norton back on as they were trying to, you know, going forward just because of the reputation the man has, despite being a very gifted actor. That wouldn't have gone well for anybody. Yes, Samuel L. Jackson on that same set as Edward Norton, and Jackson has a gun strapped to his hip the entire time. That ends badly in any iteration. Indeed. Uh, yeah, they've done a very... I mean, uh, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye was just... I mean, again, you can debate the merits of the character, but Renner's a very fine actor and has done a great job kind of balancing, you know, the humanity of Barton with just being at his very core kind of a smartass. And, uh, I mean, the other one, you know, Chris Hemsworth, who had done virtually nothing of note, and is now, I, he's one of those guys who I can't imagine anyone else as Thor other than Chris Hemsworth. And it's, uh, he, the man still has, you know, superb screen presence, delivery, a very fine actor, and he got his start basically as Thor. He'd done a few other things prior to it, but nothing of a whole lot of note. And now he's, you know, doing all the great things that he's doing. Their, their casting is almost above reproach at this point. So I, I'm with you. I have faith as far as that goes. I, I think that is going to wrap us up unless there was anything else. Uh, okay, real briefly, the Spider-Man reboot coming out in uh, 2017. Oh, my. Uh, uh, God. Sony bit off way more than it could chew trying to make a Spider-Man universe, and that came back to bite them very hard in the ass. Uh, do we just get back to Green Goblin for this one, do you imagine? Um, as big a Green Goblin fan as I am, I hope not. Um, it's the, um, I will defend a great many things about Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, 
the way that they kind of shoehorned um, the uh, Harry Osborn Green Goblin and everything that came with it uh, was not one of the things that I'm entirely willing to defend. I, I like that movie probably a lot more than most people do. A lot of that was due to Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone had, had such incredible, incredible chemistry, and they, they became those characters. Um that was the strength of of that movie and the movie, and the first one before it uh the villains certainly were not i'm hoping now that under you know now basically from from what i gather with what the deal is between marvel and sony and the and the use of spider-man is marvel studios makes the creative decisions and sony cashes the check at the end of the day which is probably the best way that that scenario can go for everybody. Yeah, so I'm I'd hoping agree with that. I'm hoping I'm hoping for a new villain, but since they've they've used many of the best ones, some well and some not so well, I wonder where they could go with it and also how much baggage they are going to bring with it from Civil War. That'll be an interesting... Uh, real briefly about Civil War, then. I know this was a very divisive moment, but Spider-Man taking off his mask and revealing that he's Peter Parker. Are you a fan of that or not? No. No, I am not. In and of itself, it was incredibly stupidly out of character for Peter Parker. And that's not even getting into the fact that... it that led it, us to brand new day. That it led it to one more day, actually. Uh, <laughs> one more day, yeah. Which... Which I, without I know I on no uncertain terms consider that the worst Spider-Man story ever made. Um, so the 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 events of Civil War are, were the catalyst for that directly, which is another reason why I have extreme distaste for that story. Um, hopefully, like I said, hopefully the people and and basically the creative team that we're getting the the right the writer director combo that we're getting for um for Civil War is the same that we got for Winter Soldier. You did mention that. It's yeah. also this it's also the same people that are going to be doing Infinity War. So, if nothing else, this is going to have like a, this is going to have pretty good continuity with that. Um what how that's going to play into whatever Spider-Man movie they end up doing in 2017. I mean, I'm going to see it. I'm not I'm probably the wrong person to ask for objectivity when it comes to Spider-Man. Um The number of people who are objective about Spider-Man is extraordinarily small. Yeah. Um but you know, I can, you know, I know I know good and bad when I spot it. Um they just and actually they just announced um was it Asa Butterfield as uh, the next, you know, the new Peter Parker. Which... Uh there my understanding was there in what final negotiations for that is or have they actually con- confirmed I, it i thought they may have confirmed it but maybe not okay. i think it's i think it's all but i think they've all but signed the contract or so, something like that it's it's pretty i'd be surprised if they backtrack on it and say that it's not happening by this point so and i haven't you know uh, to be perfectly honest i haven't seen hugo i haven't seen ender's game i, I don't think i've seen every, anything that he's in i i know people who have and say that he's quite a good actor Particularly as a kid actor, and I know Robert, you're not a big fan of kid actors uh, for the most a part. A good child actor is very good. They're just so few and far between. But th- this is this is this is the approach that I took to that as a Spider-Man nerd. Um, somebody put a recent picture of Ace Butterfield up on online 
uh, of him in glasses and put it side by side with uh, with a picture of Spy- of Peter Parker as drawn by Spider-Man's original co-creator Steve Ditko, and he's the spitting image. So I'm I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt based on that because that was kind of like I-, I looked at that I'm like, okay, I see I can see it. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to reserve judgment on all of that until I actually see as far as someone portraying Peter Parker. Uh, this thing about that that kind of kills me is they've had the three people, well, two and then if it's Butterfield, the three people they have cast as Peter Parker have by and large done good work. It's been everything around them that kind of fell apart. Yeah, you could say that. Like I said, you know, I'm I'm very forgiving of even the bad things in a lot of these movies. Uh Unless it's like Spider-Man Three, where it's just where it all collapses under the weight of all of, of how much bad it is. Oh God! How... Like, Studio, why, 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 why would you stick your fingers in that many places into what Sam Raimi is trying to do? The man made you over a billion dollars with the first two movies. Get out and, of the way and let him do his thing. And he uh, was willing. And he was willing to introduce Venom in in part three to set up for a part four, and it would have been a license to print money, but greed uh, took over. He also probably wouldn't have cast Topher Grace, which was, to this day, I can't wrap my head around them casting Topher Grace as Eddie Brock. It makes no sense. Uh, Yeah, well... And the the funny thing about that is, if I had to name at, at that at that exact time, if I had to name one person that I would have thought could have taken over for Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, it would have been Topher Grace. So yeah, he would he would have been so much better as Peter Parker than he ever would have been as Eddie Brock. And uh, that, I mean, you could you saw him play kind of the goofy guy in uh, that '70s show. You tweak that a little bit, and you've got aspects of Peter Parker. Not the whole thing, mind you, but you've got some aspects. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not what we got. But uh, you know, Sp- Spider-Man in general, I'm I'm very forgiving. I, you know, I'm certainly really curious to see what they're gonna do with this this new Spider-Man movie. Like I, you know, I just want I want there to be good Spider-Man movies. I want there to be good comic book movies in general. That's all I, we I'm ask for, for people. We're, we're forgiving. We have a low bar. Just make stuff that doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. Alright, I think that is going to wrap us up here tonight uh, All of that uh, Ben, thanks for calling in uh, Always nice to have you on the show Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I'll make it extremely quick Just, uh, you know, as always as ever I write, draw, self-publish a comic By the name of uh, Soul Exodus You can find it on my website SoulExo.com Facebook.com slash SoulExo uh, Twitter at SoulExoComic I will be exhibiting next week, you know, May 23rd at the Hamptons Comic Book Show. If you want to check out uh, information on that, just check out HamptonsComicBookShow.com. Uh, you know, if you're in, happen to be in that part of the state of New York, you know, drop by, pay us a visit. It's a good time. And if I were in the state of New York, I'd make the effort. Uh, sadly, I exist in the state of Utah, which is uh, a long plane flight away. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for being here. I'll do my plugs. And uh, again, thank you very much for being here. As for me, uh, I host the 411 Ground and Pound radio show every Sunday at 8, uh, 9 p.m. No, it is 8, sorry, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that show takes live callers, so if you want to talk about the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, uh, that's the place to do it. This week, we will be reviewing UFC Fight Night 66. Yes, yeah, 66, uh, which starts at. Oh, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, you know, 
less than 12 hours from now. And I will be providing live coverage of that event. It's live from the Philippines. It features Frankie Edgar and Uriah Faber in the main event. I've got live coverage at 411 Mania, so stop by, say hello. It's 5 a.m. for me local time, everybody. So uh, some of those early fights, if I nod off, it's because that will be they will be uh, crappy fights and it will be very early. So I apologize in advance. Uh, I was unable to get anything up. I re- normally write uh, a column in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. I just, well, I wasn't able to get around to it. I had a odd day yesterday, and I was going to look at the Reebok numbers and that whole UFC Reebok deal a bit more in depth, but just you know, stuff happens. There is life, and it doesn't. All right, uh, this coming week on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network is uh, partially a celebration of Mad Max, actually. Uh, Wednesday... Mark Radlich and I are going to be reviewing Mad Max Fury Road. He's seeing it right now, I believe. Uh, I saw it yesterday. I can sum up my review in just a couple of words. That movie is insane. Uh, if you, if that appeals to you, go see it. Uh, it's awesome in so many ways. Just utter insanity. But a full review will take place Wednesday the 20th. Thursday the 21st, The Long Road to Ruin is tackling the Mad Max franchise. Mark Radlich just came in today. Cover. Nice. Looking forward to seeing what you did with that one. I I just sent it to you. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> you had to work in Tina Turner, didn't you? Yeah, well, why not? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, the original Mad Max trilogy, that's Mad Max, Mad Max to the Road Warrior, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. They're going to talk about those. Uh, two of my favorite movies and Tina Turner. And I'll be back next week. I believe next week I'm going to wind up previewing, uh, doing... Let me see. No, I don't be I won't be doing Ant Man just yet. Uh when Ant Man comes around I'll be doing and everyone loves a bad guy just on that for the sake of synergy. But I'll be back next week. I'll find something in the interim uh, to keep everyone entertained. Maybe a loving tribute to Mr. Burns as voiced by Harry Shearer, which is sadly going away. Uh yeah. That that, that one kicked me in the gut. That was harsh because I here. I'm a big Simpsons fan. I'm a big fan of Mr. Burns. If you listen to the episode of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy talking about the Simpsons, Mark and I if, talked at length about Burns. If I had known ahead, I would have called in that day. <laughs> yeah, I, di- I didn't promote that one very well, which was my bad there. Uh, I might actually, again, I might revisit it in the future just because, again, Harry Shearer is walking away from it. And that's Burns, Smithers, Skinner, and Flanders at the very least. And those are... At times, you know, quasi-antagonistic character. Again, Burns is just a flat-out villain. Skinner and Flanders as kind of opposing forces to Homer and Bart, not necessarily evil, but just their opposites. So I might uh, I might revisit that one in the near future. But I'll be back next week with something. Uh, follow me on Twitter at WinfreeMMA for updates on that. I do uh, post stuff about my about this show and other uh, stuff in the of on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network over there. I uh, appreciate that. But that's going to wrap us up here. I don't have anything else to plug. I don't have anything else to talk about. So, thank you, Ben, for calling in. To everyone else, got to find my outro. And doing this backwards. There it is. Uh, these are listed alphabetically, and every now and then I have to... I forget to properly set up my outro soundbite. Good old Tony Montana. Uh, all right, so for Ben Cologne, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there that... You need your villains, because if you don't have a good villain, your hero is just a goofball in tights, or a suit of armor, as the case may be. All right, good night, everybody. Be well, be safe, and behave. So say good night to the bad guys.